Good morning. It's good to be with you again. This is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And uh, so I wish all of you uh, that are here today and those that are listening online a very blessed Thanksgiving. I don't know what it's like for you, but for us, it's a pretty big deal in our family. And it's a time when we can get together with family and friends and just kind of reflect on the blessings that God has given us. So I hope it's the same for you. Anyway, you know, um, it's good to be here. And I have to tell you, when I was growing up, I was one of those kids that always seemed to have to learn things the hard way. I don't know if any of you can identify with that, but that's because the way I went about doing things never seemed to work out very well, and I was always getting into some kind of trouble. I know that's probably hard for many of you to believe, but it's true. I was always getting in some kind of mischief anyway, and I can remember my dad, and if he said it to me once, he said it to me a hundred times, he'd say, son, you, you've just got a lot to learn. You've got a lot to learn, because I really did some stupid stuff when I was a kid, and one of the things that he told me that I'll never forget, he said, son, if you're going to be stupid, you better be tough. If you want to be, if you're going to be stupid, you better be tough. And uh, I'll never forget that because it really did have application to my life. Well, this past, this past year, if you'll remember, we have been involved in a sermon series called "Blessed to Be a Blessing," where we looked at a lot of characters in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, how their stories then can translate into our lives and our gifts and our talents and so forth. And, uh, well, I want to kind of revisit that this morning. And uh, because Paul says in, in, I think it's Romans chapter 15 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said all these stories in the Old Testament are there for us to learn from. They're there to give us, uh, give us encouragement and hope. And at the same time, I think he says in in uh, in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, they're there so we won't make the same stupid mistakes that they made in the past. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to look at a story of a man in the Old Testament that we can learn from, and it's a, sto it's a story of a man named Lot. And in honor of my father, I've entitled this message, There's a Lot to Learn. So if you want to open your Bibles, and I hope you brought your Bibles or your devices or whatever you use these days, to Genesis chapter 13. It's an easy book to find. It's the very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 13. And uh, while you're turning there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a prayer. Lord God, I just pray that you will have your way with this time. Whatever you have in mind for us, I pray that you will bring it about, that you would quicken our spirits, that we might receive all that you have for us this day. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about beginnings and endings this morning, because every beginning has an end, and every end has a beginning. If you throw a ball straight up in the air... When does it stop going up and start coming down? If a nation begins and builds an empire, when does that empire 
then begin to decline. When a couple begin a life together in love, when does that love and that passion begin to fade away and die out and then divorce becomes an option? How many cigarettes does one have to smoke or how, many, how much cocaine does one have to use before experimentation turns into addiction? See, everything has its origins. Everything has a beginning. And every beginning has an end. Each of us here today, we are what we are. We think what we think. We act the way we act because of the events and because of the influences that we have experienced in the past, and particularly because of the choices that we've made along the way. I mean, think about that. Think about your life right now. Good or maybe not so good. Successful or maybe disappointing. Has it been fulfilling or do you find yourself wishing for what might have been? How did you get here? How did you get here? How did you get to where you are financially? How did you get to where you are intellectually or your relationships with your family or your spouse or your kids or brothers, sisters, or parents? Are they good or maybe not? Well, how did they get to be that way? And spiritually, where are you spiritual? Well, you're in church. I can see that, but that doesn't mean anything. When you think about your faith, is it alive or is it dead? And how did it get that way? I mean, think about that. Think about how each one began and how it all turned out in the end because every beginning has an end and every end has a beginning. Well, today I want us to look at a picture in the Bible, a life story of a man named Lot. Now, Lot was the, he was the nephew of Abraham, and we all, we all know the story of Abraham, don't we? I mean, what a great guy he was. I mean, he was a, he was a real man's man of God, wasn't he? He was upright, he was honest, he was righteous, he was obedient, and there was nothing he wouldn't do for God. I mean, he was like a spiritual superman. And we've all heard about him. We were, whether we heard about him in Sunday school, we heard about him preached up. It, it, we just know the story of Abraham real well, don't we? But then there's Lot. <laughs> we probably know a little bit about Lot, but we've never really. Guys, didn't I say we could identify with this guy? As soon as he talked to his wife about it, it was over. Game over. He was headed for Sodom. And everything seemed reasonable about it. Everything was logical. It was certainly pleasing to the eye. There was good fertile land. There was plenty of water. There were, the herds are going to prosper. This is, this is good for business. There's good cultural pursuits, good school system for the kids, and they'll make new friends. I mean, what's not to like? Oh, I know Sodom doesn't have the best of reputations, but maybe I could be a good influence. Shoot. Maybe I could witness to them about God. I could maybe start a church and turn this into a ministry. I mean, this just makes so much sense. 
This is going to be great. So it says in verse 12 that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And in that single phrase, by the way, I've underlined that phrase in my Bible, in that phrase, he pitched his tent toward Sodom, that single phrase marks the beginning of the end for Lot. One day, he would wake up on the side of a mountain from a drunken stupor. Both of his daughters were incestuously carrying his child. His wife was a pillar of salt in the valley below. All of his earthly goods, his home, his wealth, his flocks, his prestige, all lay buried in the ashes of fire and brimstone. And it all started on the day that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He'd had it all. And to the natural mind, it made so much sense. Plenty of provisions, but it was still a discernible distance between he and the world. And by the way, that's true of all of us folks, because we have to relate to the world as Christians. And in Lot's case, his position toward Sodom would place him in a position that he could be a witness to the inhabitants. As God blessed him, the people would be able to see it, and they would ask how and why, giving him great influence and opportunity to, to witness to the people. He could demonstrate that being one of God's people does not make one a dangerous extremist, like we're, like we're told today. And all of these wonderful prospects blinded him to the ultimate and unavoidable truth because he thought he was strong enough to avoid the, the temptations. He thought he could protect his children and his family from their influence. He thought he could handle it. But it was the beginning of the end. You know, we should really learn about this man named Lot. We should teach it to our kids. We should become very familiar with his story. Because the parallels of the world that we live in today are so striking. And in a very real sense, we as Christians in relating to the world today are living in the outskirts, if not the midst of Sodom. And I don't think it's the least bit far-fetched to say that every day you and I stand where Lot stood. We're looking down into the valley, and, and I don't think it's any stretch at all to say that the world that we're experiencing every day is that all that far removed from Sodom. And if you want to argue that point, I'd just like to sit down with you some night and turn on the television set and just kind of cruise the channel. And we could start just by watching the nightly news. And it says in verse 13 that the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. You know, I heard Billy Graham say once on television that if God does not judge the United States of America, then he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah a big apology. You know, I think he's right. Every day that question comes to me. It may not come to you, but it comes to me. Where am I going to pitch my tent today? Where am I going to pitch my tent today? It's a very important question for you and for, for me as Christians because the choices we make today 
are nothing more than beginnings to an end. They are, that's all they are. What you and I decide to do today is nothing more than seed for the future. And friends, I'll tell you this, and this is the truth. The law of the harvest still applies. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So where are you going to pitch your tent? Every morning you and I get up and we decide where we're going to pitch that tent. Every morning, every day. And we can try to fool ourselves because we're really good at self-deception. We can try to justify or rationalize our decisions. And we do that a lot don't we? At least I do. But here's the truth. You know what's right and what's wrong, don't you? You know. You know what God likes and what God doesn't like. I know you know because I know. And it's in the knowing that we choose where we're going to pitch our tent. And we pitch our tent every day, don't we? We pitch our tent when we go to church for the spiritual things, but we go to the world for everything else. We pitch our tent when we give lip service to the message of the Bible, but our methods, we get our methods from the world. We pitch our tent when we say we get our meaning from the Bible, but our motivation from the flesh. Because doing the right thing in the flesh is not that far removed from doing the wrong thing in the flesh. We pitch our tent when we get our standards from God, but our behavior from the flesh. We pitch our tent in so many ways. We pitch our tent when we get our commission from the scriptures, but we, re we rely on the resources of, of the flesh. When we get our calling from the Holy Spirit, but our excuses from the world. We pitch our tent when we want our children to serve God when all the time we educate them to succeed in the world. We seek after righteousness, all the while praying or paying for corruption and filth to be wired or streamed into our homes. We can learn a lot from a lot. And we should teach our kids. We should teach ourselves. Because he thought he could handle it. And so do we. He pitched his tent towards Sodom and it was the beginning of the end. The story of Lot is universal. It applies to people. It applies to you and to me individually. It applies corporately. It applies to churches to businesses, to institutions, and to families. It applies to societies, and it applies to nations. And every beginning has an end. And every end has a beginning. And we can learn a lot from this man's story. Let me read on for you later on in the story in chapter 19, and we'll see how it progresses. I'll begin uh, in verse 4 and read through verse 8 and then 19 and following. Anyway, where am I? 19. Verse 4, before they lay down, the men of the city, that's the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us 
that we may have relations with him. Now, I don't have to go into any detail there, right? Bring them out so we can have relations with him. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now, behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, I'll go down to verse 12 and pick it up there. Then the men said to Lot, now the men here are the angels that were sent to get him out of there. Then the men said to Lot, whom have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whom, whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we're about to destroy this place because of the outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. He hesitated. So the men seized his hands and the hands of his wife and the hands of his daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him and they brought him out and put him outside the city. And it came about when they had brought them outside that one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains lest you be swept away. But Lot said to them, oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown, by, shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to. It is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small? For my life may be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also not to overthrow this town which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town is called Zoar. The name of the town is called Zoar. More on that in a minute. You know, there are a few things I want, a few observations I want to make here. First, when you look at this man's story, you never see Lot seeking God's direction. In fact, Lot never gives any indication of any spirituality whatsoever. All of his decisions come from the flesh. Is that, I mean, is that how you and I make decisions as individuals, as a church, or as a nation? Secondly, Lot never seemed to grow in his faith. He was always content to live in the shadow of Abraham's faith, and he never developed any on his own. And, you know, there are people, I've, I've been going to church all my life, and I've known people like that, quite a few. You know, I don't have to be spiritual. I don't have to grow in my faith. We pay the pastor to do those kind of things. I'm just here along for the ride. That's kind of the way Lot was. And third, in pitching his tent towards Sodom, he, he set things in motion. Notice that he didn't move in right away. If you're familiar with the story, he kind of edged his way in. He started on the outskirts, but later we find him sitting at the gate 
the, and the gate of the city was a place of prominence. That's where all the leaders of the city would gather and take care of the, the business of the city. So Lot had gone from merely being around them to being one of them. And fourth, Lot thought he could live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. But he couldn't handle it. And friends, neither can we. And fifth, and this one really stands out, Abraham offered his son to God and Lot offered his daughters to the men of Sodom. Abraham offered his son to God and Lot offered his daughters to the wicked men of Sodom. What a contrast that is. I mean, you could, you could preach on that forever. I mean, if you look at our world today, how many children, how many children are being offered up for things like new cars, better homes, another man or another woman? How many are being offered up for the pleasures and the fleshly wants of the world? You know, the statistics show that 75% of all abortions in this country are done for personal convenience. They have nothing to do with women's health. It's all about personal convenience. How many and how few of our children are being offered up to God? And yet we stand idly by while the juggernaut of atheism and secularism, humanism, materialism, and perversion run rampant through our schools our government, our institution, and even our homes. We're giving them over to a decaying and increasingly corrupt culture. How many of our children are being offered up to Sodom in 21st century America? Think about that. Everything's different, but nothing's changed. And everything's changed, but nothing's different. Maybe you've heard that before. Now, I know this is not a feel-good sermon, but this stuff needs to be said. And it needs to be said in church. It needs to be said by the church. Because probably, <clears throat> probably the greatest loss for Lot was that he lost his cre credibility and he lost his testimony. He could offer no witness for God whatsoever. When the angels tell him what's about to happen, he goes to his family and he tries to get them to leave and they mock him. They laugh at him. They think he's a joke. How many of us, how many people who, uh, well, I've known, I, I, they go to church every Sunday and a half for years. They have no testimony for God amongst their friends or their neighbors or even their families because of the way they choose to live their life, the way they embrace the things of this world. And you know, that can be said for churches. In fact, if you look at the church today in North America, the church is lacking is looking more and more like the world every day, isn't it? All the time. And they're losing their testimony. Lot couldn't even convince his, fa couldn't even convince his family 
That's how bad it had gotten. And finally, in the end, even Lot himself didn't want to leave Sodom. It says in verse 16, when the time came to get out, Lot wanted to stay. And the angels had to grab him and his wife and his daughters and force them to leave. Even when the judgment of God was imminent, they wanted to remain in a place of sin. And how true is that of all of us? <laughs> and we know, don't we? We know. But we still, we still choose to pitch our tent towards Sodom. In verse 22, he ends up in a place called Zoar. You know, I looked up the meaning of the word Zoar, and you know what it means? It means a place of insignificance. A place of insignificance. And friends, we can end up there too. We can end up there as a church too. Because we end up looking so much like the world that we become irrelevant and insignificant. You know, Jesus, Jesus talked about Lot. In Luke chapter 17, verse uh, 28, Jesus is teaching, and this is what he says. It is the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, and they were building. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. You know, friends, we would do well to learn this man's story. As individuals, as a church, and as a nation. We should especially teach it to our children because it's the story of how the end begins. So let me close with this. You know, at my age, my age, I'm closer to the end than I am the beginning. Maybe some of you can identify with that. But tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow is a new day, and it'll be full of choices. And I'll have to decide where I'm going to pitch my tent. And I thank God for the story of Lot, because what my dad told me years and years ago still applies. There's still a lot for me to learn. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, each one of us has a story. Each one here has a story. And I just pray that when that story is told for each of us, they will have significance. They will have eternal significance. Because many of us here may be near the end, we're closer to the end than we are the beginning, but I just pray that you will hope you will help us to finish well. Help us, Lord, finish well. And I pray it in your Son's name. Amen.